0: Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out-of-money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money podcast. Today, is my distinct honor to have Julie Johnson with me of XY Communication, Now, Julie and I haven't known each other a very long time, but we have gotten to know each other very quickly because we have a shared passion for serving people and understanding them psychologically so they they can live a more fulfilling and productive life, especially around their personal finances. Julie has deep, deep history in the financial services world, and I know that she's going to draw on those lessons to share with us today to help you and your partner make better financial decisions together. Julie, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much, Ed. And I really appreciate the word deep as opposed to long or old.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, deep.
1: Yes, yes, deep. What does it mean
0: to be deep anyways, Julie? Maybe before you start telling anybody more about yourself, let's just riff on this for a second. What does it mean to be deep?
1: You know, I was listening to one of my all-time favorite authors, and I know I'm There are many who feel this way, Adam Grant, uh, just this morning. And um, I think depth of knowledge is all about being open to a whole heck of a lot of diverse opinions and being receptive to them. And then using your own knowledge, your own experience, your own perceptions to create your own ideas. Right, your own path to help others move forward. But I think depth also means making sure that we don't get so stuck in our own ideas and that, well, we do that because that's always worked, right? Yeah. We must evolve, we must change. And I think a depth of ideas also means a depth of self confidence. He uses the word. Confident humility heard the phrase I should say mm. and I just I love that just confident humility just always being curious and and not and that doesn't mean swaying back and forth or be you know we talk a lot of, about imposter syndrome right
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: but but imposter syndrome can be a good thing right it keeps us curious it keeps us so we don't settle.
0: Oh man this conversation is going to be so good I I don't even want to stop to have you slow down and introduce yourself a little bit more, but just for the benefit (laughs) of the listeners, can you tell everybody a little bit about your professional background and how you've gotten to where you're at
2: now?
1: Absolutely. So, um, born and raised in Denver, youngest of five kids. I was an oops kid. And why does that matter? Um, it matters because I was raised to always overachieve, to always, you know, fight to prove that I was worthy. And, Started with Smith Barney, now Morgan Stanley, then Smith Barney, 1996, was one of two uh, female advisors in a 150 person office, 150 advisor office, wow. and um, was asked to join another gentleman who had been in the business a little bit longer than I had, but due respect, and he'd be the first one to say this too. His relationship skills and his empathy were, let's just say, lacking.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And um, I probably had them to a fault. At least that was the thought process back in the mid '90s. And um, but grew. We grew our practice to two billion in assets under management. Went from Smith Barney to UBS, um, and then at, in as luck would have it, October of two thousand and seven, I was honored to consistently be asked to speak at Barron's conferences and and various other conferences on relationship management and, um, you know, other things, practice management, etc. And then, unfortunately, in 2008 and 2009, um, I experienced organ failure. My my body just said enough was enough. And this was the boundary thing, right? Mm -hmm. That we were talking about before this uh, recording is, you know, we sometimes think that people that are smart enough to place boundaries for themselves are maybe selfish when, in, in fact, they may well be the smart ones. Um, I did not have boundaries and my body finally said enough and, and started to shut down. So I got a pacemaker and, and other things happened. Unfortunately, in 2010, um, kicking and screaming, I had to go, go out on disability. And, um, that was an extraordinarily hard thing. I felt very, very, um, I was heartbroken. I was pissed off. I failed, felt I had failed all of those things, mm-hmm. um, Ed, that you and I have talked about yeah. and then some, um, and then I had the amazing opportunity in 2014 to meet and work with, uh, the team at, at Brene Brown and then her team. Needless to say, I would imagine Brene Brown doesn't, needs no introduction. Um, but if you don't know her, please look her up. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. She's, she's a rock star. And their team, not to be dramatic, Ed, but their team really kind of saved me in oh. a lot of ways. Brought me back from this sort of dark place that I had been in. And they were the ones who said, Julie, you need to go back into the financial industry, not as an advisor, but as somebody who is an advocate and a cheerleader for soft skills, EQ, all of these, you know, cliche terms that that we're finally growing into now and are finally getting traction now. And I said, "Okay, great, I'm going to do that. So I went and I got my my behavioral finance certification and learned everything that I could about um, behavioral communication and the space that I, you know, we have to have a niche, right? So the space I entered into was generations, the differences between communication and connection between older, middle, and younger generations, as well as gender. Uh And the perspectives and the communication and the needs of all of the above are certainly not right or wrong. They're simply just different. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, even today, um, still continue to see them as right or wrong. And let's do it, you know, the way it's quote unquote always been done. <laughs> and listening to Adam Grant this morning, change is inevitable. It's those of us who are smart enough to constantly be evolving, learning new perspectives, respecting new perspectives. And potentially implementing different perspectives, those are the people that are the great leaders. those are the people who maintain fabulous employees that are engaged. Those are the people who have amazing relationships with their uh, clients and or gain prospects because they are unique, they are authentic, they are confident in a very humble way, and they are always curious and so but to go back a little bit, I came back into the industry doing good old lunch and learns, had several wonderful friends and supporters here in Denver, UBS, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch. And they welcomed me talking specifically about how older advisors must be learning constantly how to authentically engage with the younger family members of existing clients. We've all heard the number. It might be 68 trillion. It might be, you know, whatever the number is, right? right? Between women and people under the age of 55, the inheritance that's going to be received by those people and the desires and needs that they have from their invi- advisors and, and not only desires and needs, but what they're requiring. Hmm. It's no longer, and I don't know if this is COVID, I don't know what it is, but people are not just talking the talk anymore. They're They're literally walking and there's Pew, Gallup, Harvard, so many institutions that have these statistics that prove if you don't provide that emotional trust and if you don't provide that vulnerability and authenticity for your clients and or prospects and or team, chances are either they will be unhappy and disengaged or they'll leave, Right. So let's change that. And that's kind of what I've been doing. And, and it's just been such a passion. And I, you know, chapter two of my life, it was a hard road to get here.
2: Yeah.
1: And hopefully in 2023, you'll listen to a, a podcast that we're looking to start called Shit Happens Now What? Because there's so, you, I mean, Ed, you and I have talked about this so often. There's so many people that have these stories of resilience, right? They've been through hell and they've made it back. And they've made it back even to a maybe better opportunity, certainly more self-aware. And um, we're pounding the table and what we know matters. And I'm going to officially be quiet now.
0: (laughs) That is one heck of an introduction
1: it was really lengthy. Sorry. I try to avoid the verbal vomit, but
0: well, but when you have whatever. so much good stuff to share and you know, I, okay. My listeners know I'm a therapist. I've been trained as a therapist. And so I, I can find myself even when I'm doing the podcast interviews, just sitting back and falling into that listening mode and just letting people talk. And so, Hey, that's how we roll on this podcast sometimes. And if you don't like it, that's okay. It's, it's just okay. But, uh, Julie, you've been on, you know, some would call it the hero's journey. Um, Joseph Campbell, are you familiar with Joseph Campbell's work?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh.
0: If you've been on a transformational journey, you know, Joseph Campbell, if you haven't been on a transformational journey, you haven't. And I don't say that to be uh harsh or critical, no. but if, if you don't know about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, It gives a framework and that's really where Julie and I are both coming from is as messengers coming back to the community with a transformational message about how things need to change. Partly because we've suffered and it led us into our own dark places, right? Julie, I mean, your dark place was dark. The organ failure, pacemaker, I mean, I I went through, I don't know, three or four years of major depression where I wasn't getting Mm -hmm. anything done. And so it can look different, but it's all a wake-up call. And at that kind of more spiritual level, it's calling you into something deeper and greater healing. And it's, it's scary, and we don't go willingly. You know, you said I was mm-hmm. kicking and screaming and fighting going on disability. You did not want that to be.
2: Mm-mm.
1: I, I joked today, Ed, hi, my name is Julie Johnson. I'm a recovering control freak. Because you know, I thought I was in control through, you know, going out on disability. I mean, talk about not being (laughs) self-aware.
0: Wait, so I mean, that makes sense to me. And we're laughing a little bit, but like, just even unpack that little nugget right there is because that, that, you know, it's easy to just pass over that. But that is actually really some insight there. So unpack that.
1: Okay. I always thought I was in control. And that the funny thing about that, or Whatever, you know, whatever the right word is. I was miserable, Ed. I mean, you and I've talked about yeah. this as we were going to conferences and speaking and and from a career perspective, I was it it was fabulous, right? Yeah,
0: on top of the world, right? I mean, externally you you were the person to be.
1: If there was social media, there was, right. but you know, I wasn't it wasn't nearly as pervasive as it is today. People would, you know, be seeing me living my best life when internally I was a shell of a person Mm -hmm. and never felt more alone. Never felt, I mean, I cried every night and I didn't sleep. And it was because I was so, what I was doing in this message that I was telling, because I was told that that was the right way, you know, the old way, Right. right? The numbers, the statistics, performance, you know, sharp ratios, all that garbage was the way and the relationship stuff was not the way and it was such a massive disconnect for me but i was told i was wrong almost every day and i let that in but still i thought i was in control when i was i was in no control and then in you know 2008 2009 so many things happened but i was still like okay but i'm here you know i'm experiencing organ failure but I don't know why the best doctors in the world can't tell me why. So it, you know, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep working 60, 70 hours a week. And I'm going to keep, you know, being an okay mom and not taking care of myself, ignoring the fact that I have massive migraines and I'm passing out because I'm in control. There's no reasoning for it other than my body or, you know, God or the universe, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be for the listeners and anybody else, God finally said, Julie, you're not in control. And um, you haven't been listening to me for years now. So I'm going to take that away from you. And I am now in control. And I just had to relinquish. I had to give up. I had, but I didn't want to. I, you know, talk about a dark place. It was, I felt like such a failure, such a failure.
0: Oh, man, this is, uh, I knew this was going to be a powerful, and it's, wow.
1: I have my, yes, (laughs) I'm
0: glad, I'm glad, because, you know, it is being brought to that dark place, and kind of that God got your attention, finally, in a different way, and, and, you know, but it takes me back to my own, like, in that dark place, whereas, like, I had been running half marathons, and stage leg races and was grad school you know and all the upward accomplishment stuff and finally like could not run couldn't like literally could not run and then would be go out to be on the trails and i i was like crying and i was like what am i doing and literally like you know whether it's the voice of god or it's my own internal voice i don't know now but at that time, or a combination it, of both, both, right? And maybe right? the divine voice is our own voice, but, um, sorry, the, the very analytical theologian in me is wanting to come out and debate all that stuff. Nah, that's for another conversation, <laughs> yeah. but the experience for those of us that go through that really dark place often has a spirit, ends up having a spiritual component where we have to fully rel- relinquish control and realize we're not in control. And what I've come to appreciate, and I'm curious about your view on it, is that need to be in control is often a survival mechanism oh. from our childhood. so th- before I went on this massive journey, I would have looked back at my childhood and my family and said, well, I had a normal family functionally. Mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. took care of me. I went to school, I was fed. Uh, my parents worked. there was no overt addictions in the family, so like, what's the big deal and and yep. yet, well, there's so many other layers there, and there were things that were more on the shadow side, you know, my, including my own sexual abuse history by an, another family member. And so, I share that to say that so many successful people are trying to heal themselves in their success, but they don't know that they actually need healing, not success.
2: Mm.
0: Okay, so
1: I, I, my entire body is tingling with that with that discussion point. Sorry, keep going.
0: Well, yeah, so let's notice the tingling and just what's what's happening for you as I'm sharing some of my own kind of thoughts about this now.
1: Yeah, I too um experienced abuse, experienced abuse in the workplace, um harassment, but again, you know it, it, it's is it my fault
2: right mm-hmm. yeah
1: another consistent concept. Um, And I just deal with it, right? I mean, I would go, I would reach out to management. I would reach out to people, not my family, because I didn't want them to know. Um, But I would reach out to outside people and they would be like, sorry, we can't help you. And, um, you know, that's a big reason, Ed, why I also am an advocate for people who experience harassment, bullying, and bias. Um mm. Along with Gretchen Carlson, who has put together this amazing foundation called Lift Our Voices mm. and Gretchen Carlson, as you know, is you know she used to be a a uh, anchor person with Fox News, and she was one of the people who helped bring down Robert Iles and I mean this is again a topic for probably another podcast yeah. <laughs> is the sexual harassment bullying and bias. There's so much of it. Yeah, I, I have a young woman right now. She's 23 and got her dream job in New York City, and unfortunately experienced some severe bullying and harassment. And she literally said to me, "Julie, I didn't think this existed anymore." Mm. And I've talked to so many management, so many people in management at very large corporations and very small, you know, businesses, and so many of them say, "Julie, we don't deal with it." More than we have to because we don't know how, hmm. and so that's another goal for 2023 is um, to build a curriculum that helps individuals as well as management deal with, address and deal with uh, bullying, bias, harassment in the workplace, and hopefully those those tools also reach individuals maybe potentially in their own homes.
0: Let's go Um, there. That's, I'm really interested in that. If you're married to a spouse that's experiencing the bullying, the bias, and prejudice in the workplace, how do you come alongside your partner as they're in that journey?
1: So what I've experienced, and this is so, this is, again, where I am such a novel. Yeah, that's all right. The reading, the listening, the discussions that I've had, The best thing you can do is be there for them. Don't judge. Mm. Be a safe space for them to speak Mm -hmm. to. That's really the best thing in my experience and my humble opinion that we can do, you know, again, and this could be a whole hour discussion in and of itself. But it's so challenging because many of us want to, quote unquote, tell the other person what to do. You know, go to HR, go to your boss, go to, you know, do this, do that. You have to be proactive. And what happens, and I hesitate to go here without more depth. Okay, so
0: (laughs) we'll call it a little bit of speculation or just inferring?
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you, very fair. Unfortunately, well, I'm gonna get in a lot of trouble for saying this, not because it's any it's their own it's not their fault yeah. hr isn't given the tools to help these people yeah. um and unfortunately hr are employees of the right and it all comes back to the corporation um i've had mark Tebergen who's a retired uh ceo of, of bank of new york pushing Mellon combination thereof sure. um he and I have talked about this at length because I know CFP is trying to do a lot of work and as are several organizations trying to do a lot of work uh, with bullying and harassment in addition to obviously DE&I and, and all of that. And there's so much. I mean, talk about we don't know what we don't know. And another thing too is, is I'm afraid that many of us you know, I'm a woman, but I'm white. Uh-huh. I, ha- I have no concept of the perspective of people that are experiencing these things in a very real, deeper way. And, and unfortunately, we often think that we can assume what they're going through when we can't. Nobody can assume. Nobody has, nobody has knowledge of what I experienced nobody has knowledge out of what you experienced and how we got through it and if we had to do it over again knowing what we know now how we would have done it differently but again no we don't know and it's different for every single person there are no cookie cutter answers right We've just got to get into it and figure it out. And I'm not articulating this very well. I apologize. But Well, it um, belly's the complexity. There's just so, yeah. There is so much unknown. And I think um, just pure awareness and talking about it, not shoving it under the rug. And, you know, I do a lot of work with corporations that are working on re you know, the great re-engagement, again, I hate these taglines, but, and it's, it's okay, let's bring up the conversations and the frustrations and the stress that people are experiencing. I mean, Ed, you know the statistics as well as I do. Worldwide, people are experiencing more stress personally and professionally in their lives than ever before, or at least in in decades, right? And so this communication and connection gives us the tools, the ability to talk about things because we have the words and have the confidence, enables us to provide others with that safe space, to invite them to come and share what's going on for them and not judge, not tell them what to do, but maybe provide ideas, provide different perspectives, but Above anything else, Ed, listen and just help them feel heard.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy informed financial planning bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. It's such a powerful, and I'm glad that you brought it back around to that, is is the listening is where it starts, right? Not with the solutions or the answers or the what to read or what to listen to it's to show up and to just listen to offer them eye contact when they look at you, when they look Mm -hmm. up and
1: even if it is zoom, right? Even
0: if it is zoom, you can convey that presence and that willingness and openness to, to see and experience that. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, this is the healthy love and money podcast and there's so many layers to experiencing love and, and money and, you know your view on the workforce and its impact on our ability to show up at work. and I think about this young lady, and I you know I think about so many people whose livelihood, you know, they're counting on their livelihood, and yet the the very place that mm-hmm. they go to make their livelihood is not safe for them. And how problematic true. that is. and and it's not it's cycle. not just as easy as we'll just change a job. And a lot of times no. there's so many other investments that are built on that. and to make that kind of change yeah. is, Um, really unfair to the individual as well who's worked so hard and oftentimes we come (laughs) from a place of innocence before we realize how bad some
1: naivete yeah
0: you know yeah it's it's really challenging me to almost reframe and probably unburn a little bit for me but i I can even remember starting out in my career as a professional firefighter and i'll leave it at a very high level but the, some of the levels of disrespect for different people, groups, oh, and sure. gender experiences was profoundly negative, and the the sense of not feeling safe to speak up about it was mm-hmm. you know terrifying, you know because mm-hmm. my life was dependent on the the guys that I was working with and uh, mm-hmm. and yeah. right, like yeah. I'm going to run yeah. into a burning <laughs> building, and if I'm calling out and saying, like, "Hey, this is not okay to talk about this group or this person that way." what does that do to my my right and so workplace culture and safety is foundational to our livelihood and yet it's it's,
1: and it needs to be top down it
0: it has to be we need to
1: get leadership buy-in
0: you know julia i mean let's be honest, right. Even me just sharing that with you right now, I felt the terror in my body. Like I've been monitoring, mm-hmm. like, Oh, I don't want this to blow back, you know, Cause I think oftentimes some of us have this, we, we want to see the good in everyone as well. Yeah. And that yeah. makes it
1: benefit of, the doubt. The
0: benefit of the doubt. And that creates some of the bind too around wanting to acknowledge mm-hmm. it is. And so that, you know, we talked about also that selflessness that some of us mm-hmm. really carry so heavily. So, how does that play into all of this mix?
1: I put, so, so during my first chapter career, Uh um, I put my, my clients and my team before myself and before my family for 15 Uh years. Um, because I didn't want to fail. Yeah. I didn't want to be seen as a failure. I didn't want to be seen as not capable. And I had a terrible time saying, no, mm-hmm. I'm like, I can do it. I can do it. Bring it, you know, and I can do it better than the other person. I can't trust the other person to do it as well. So I I was, again, control and I wouldn't delegate. And I mean, you know, textbook, right? right? Yeah. And even when, you know, I first started experiencing migraines and heart failure and all of those things, I'm like, eh, it's fine. You know, I, I just denial <laughs> so much denial, Yes. but that's how I was raised. Right. Yeah. You don't, you know, you don't seek therapy. You don't seek doctors. You don't seek anything. You know, you have to be strong in mind and body for yourself
2: uh. and
1: you can't reach out and ask for help for in my family, reaching out and asking for help still today is so ingrained in us as being weak. And my gosh, it's so funny to try to, I've got two teenage kids, you know, my daughter is a freshman in in college and, you know, she's like, mom, I don't want to, you know, go to TA meetings. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I'm like, babe, you have to. And I'm trying so hard to break this pattern, Mm. which unfortunately I'm afraid she learned from me that we have to be able to figure it out on our own. When in Adam Grant's book that I was reading this morning, it talks specifically about actually students and executives and any individuals who are willing to admit they don't know everything and admit uh, that they need help and ask for that help are exponentially more successful,
2: Mm.
1: exponentially more, more free, confident. Right. So it's just, it's this balance, I think, of taking it on, showing that we can do it, but also not being afraid to say, I'm going to go to my kid's soccer game. I'm leaving it, you know, or or, um, I'm having a date night with my significant other, or I'm gone for the weekend, And I'm shutting everything down, right? It's putting ourselves and our family first. And I think that's a disconnection too, Ed, with the younger generations, is in the, no one is a bucket, right? We're all individuals, but this, you know, work-life balance that is for some seen as so smart and for others seen as who do these, you know, quote, unquote, this is not what
2: I believe, but that's what we hear. hear. Yeah
1: who are these kids? You know, they have to pay their dues. What do they think they can, you know, right. leave at five and take the weekend off. You know what? Good for them. If they can get, you know, Absolutely. if they're getting everything done, they are more self-aware and they are more connected probably to their clients and prospects because they're living their real lives. Right. And they're connecting with, you know, their prospects and clients and peers in a very real and authentic way they will be the ones who end up being more successful in the next 10, 20, 30 plus years. I, I would bet money on it.
0: Yeah, well, yes.
1: And they don't experience the, the mental and physical breakdowns as often, like you and I have.
0: That's exactly right. I mean, the, the trauma literature is so clear on that. The, the field of therapy is so clear on this. There's, it's, yep. you know.
1: The wellness and anxiety we must, it's not,
0: it's a society it's not, imperative it's a
1: discussion point. Yeah. It's we must embrace it and, and figure it out and get to the bottom of it and support people who are experiencing it and not make them feel less than we must just figure out solutions that are a win-win
0: Win-win and we've got to be willing to challenge our own cultural, our own assumptions of where they come from and what it means to work, what it means to be a human, what it means to be of, you know, of any cultural background. I think one of the things that's been probably the hardest thing about becoming a therapist and and the the most freeing is the ability to question everything and anything. There are no sacred cows. And so you've got to really be willing to open up and ask all the hard questions. And it's this is not something you can sit down on a weekend and ask all the hard questions and have it resolved. This is a multi-year okay. journey, right? Julie, your conviction around... Well,
1: it's a lifelong journey, wouldn't you agree? Yes, I mean, it's yes,
0: yes. It is a lifelong journey. But I, yes, and I think there's, there can be a period of maybe more intense questioning that has to happen, especially if you're mm. in that dark place. Mm-hmm. Like where paradigm shift. where you're working through the major paradigm shift. And now, like your paradigm about who you are and what it means to be Julie is probably much clearer.
1: And
2: happier. And happier.
0: And yet it but now there's room for it to evolve. Right? Like yeah. you have a, a new base of how you understand yourself and how you see the world. And you know, speaking to that, how has that impacted your own intimate relationship and your relationship with kids? How do you see that change? You have kind of Julie before this and Julie after this with family life, how has that changed family life for you?
1: 180 degrees. I'm divorced from my first, from the father of my kids
2: Uh
1: and now in a a very serious relationship. And um, then also with my kids, I, I was so closed minded before. Uh if things didn't sort of fit into what I was told was right or wrong. And now it's listening to the perspective of my 15 year old son and often being blown away Mm. or the perspective of my 18 year old daughter and being blown away
2: Mm.
1: or, you know, my significant other, or my, you know, again and again and again. and it's you know at the thanksgiving table christmas table what have you realizing how closed-minded so much of my family is.
2: Uh,
1: i love them dear of course yes but you know they're they're spouting these statements about certain things and i i often find myself just saying why do you feel that so strongly mm. and why are you so sure that that is the right way or the wrong way mm-hmm. And, and they, a lot of times they look at me like, well, cause, you know, right. And and this isn't to to take away from my family, but it's just, you know, we have to be open-minded and curious and, and always asking questions and not to be arbitrary,
2: no, but
1: to, to stay curious. And well, and
0: it's a an essential part of our psychological and moral development, at least as I understand absolutely.
2: it. Absolutely.
0: Um, I don't know. Are you familiar with David Brooks?
2: I can't New say Times. that I am. He's
0: got a book out that came out this year, "The Second Mountain," I think it is, "A Quest for Moral Life." And you know, I think it, from a developmental psychology perspective, I think so many of us come into adulthood and we. We learn, we've learned a certain truth about how the world works. That's true for all humans, right? No matter where you're on the globe, go around the globe.
1: experience.
0: Yeah. Our experiences set some foundational truth about who we are in the world, who other people are, and then how the world is ordered. The problem is, it's not a complete view when we come into adulthood. Couldn't agree it's more. lopsided and wonky and incomplete. And yet, many of us get stuck at, with the assumption that it, that is what it is. And,
1: and, and would you agree that a lot of it is ego and arrogance?
0: Yeah. And, and yes, but I think it's, I don't, it always chaps me that, that explanation a little bit. And I don't, let me see if I can figure out why, because I think there's also an absence of places for people to go for true moral and psychological growth and development. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And most of us can't do it fully on our own. Nobody else can do it for us and we can't mm-hmm. do it alone, which is kind of a weird mm-hmm. bind, right?
2: It's, a it's kind of like, conundrum. I mean if
0: any, you you did marathon running, it sounds like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you had to run every single one of those steps. But did yep. you ever train with another marathoner? Did you?
1: My brother.
0: Uh-huh. Did.
1: But, so I don't know if that counts. Yeah.
0: It counts. He was already, <laughs> he had been doing it. You ran, right? You probably learned from others about how to marathon.
1: Sure. But to your point, Ed, not not to cut in, um, I never believed in quote unquote self-help until I heard Brene Brown.
2: Uh, And it was
1: because she resonated that her, excuse my language, no BS, funny, but very real way of teaching and reading and speaking teaching and writing and speaking resonated with me. And so, but, but the point was is I kept trying to find someone cause I knew I needed someone else Yes. Um, because I couldn't pull myself out of wherever I was by myself. And so it's, it's trying and trying and trying and trying and finally finding a solution. Same with my physical well-being. Uh-huh. Western medicine, other than getting a pacemaker, Western medicine helped maybe 60% of the way, right. but you bet your backside it was mental that helped the rest of it. And, yes. you know, it puts things in perspective. It just puts things in perspective. I'm going to
0: ask a question How many of your treating doctors, when you're an organ failure pacemaker, asked about your trauma history in your childhood? Zero. Okay listeners Zero. be ready. Ed's about to such... just
1: wow.
0: medical profession. Wake up. I got,
1: wake the, tingles up. Again. Wake I got up. the tingles again. Yes. It's so it's... true. And it was stress. Ed. It was all, it was all stress. It was stress.
0: And it's, you know, I
1: freaking NIH Mayo. I mean now, and, and it's how everything is evolving. Thank goodness. goodness. It
0: is. But the trauma stress <sighs> took
1: so long, and,
0: you know, severe. It's like, we don't have,
1: not one asked about any kind of mental or physical abuse growing up.
0: Not one. And yet we now know that the research is unequivocally clear that if you have childhood trauma, the likelihood of poor health outcomes goes up. And the more you have the nope. ACE study, familiar with the ACE study. Okay. Nope. That's okay. That's okay. I, I like to ask. <laughs> uh, I I'm mean, right you already, you're, you're connected with the trauma, you know, to health conditions. Yes. but. The ACE study yeah. is the Adverse Childhood Experiences study. And it's, mm. it's a study that came out of Vincent Felitti's work in San Diego when he was working in their weight loss clinic. And he would help his patients lose weight. But they would come back mm-hmm. six months, a year later, and have regained the weight. Couldn't sure. figure out why. Started asking them life questions.
2: Yep.
0: Well, it turns out that them losing weight started garnering them positive attention. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, they didn't like positive attention because that felt threatening to them. And so the weight represented a barrier of safety.
1: They wanted to hide. They they wanted
0: to hide. And so he compiled 10 questions about childhood trauma, different types of trauma. And so much academic research has grown out of this area where they know each different type of trauma magnifies your risk. Because mm. our sense of self grows out of our caregiving environment. And as we've been talking about that selflessness versus selfish, you didn't say selfish, but that's, I think the selfless person is always worried about being perceived as selfish. And yeah. so it puts them in a bind around what to do with myself.
1: We care so much about the perceptions of others.
0: And so trying to get to a healthy sense of self, which really is the base of our, our health, all health, mental and physical is just so, not agree with so anymore. big.
1: Well, I couldn't, I couldn't present, you know, even when I came back after working with Brene Brown's team and all of that, when I came back, I still hadn't healed from much of what had happened in my first career, the first chapter, if you will. And so I wasn't my best yeah. self still. Yeah. And it wasn't until that got addressed mm-hmm. and discussed and it's never put to bed, right. but at least it's out in the open mm-hmm. and maybe that's, sorry. That's a, Anyway, now I feel free at plus EMDR really helped too. <laughs> Not to put a plug in for EMDR. No,
0: let's, but. let's plug EMDR because that's, it's one of the most popular trauma
2: and it approaches works. and it
0: works. So Julie, go ahead and, and, Listeners, be ready. This is going to be powerful. Go.
1: So, again, what? 12 years of therapy, uh, uh-huh. right? Pretty intense therapy. It worked okay, but when I would think about the previous trauma, I would still, and you I'm sure you can empathize, you know, the, the throat and the mm-hmm. stomach and the, yeah. you know, you still feel it everywhere, yeah, The visceral
0: right? responses, of course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it wasn't, and so somebody, my therapist actually finally said, Julie, I know that you are kind of a cynic <laughs> when it comes to this stuff, oh, yeah. but I want you to, I want you to try EMDR. Yeah, right. I said, what is it?
2: Uh-huh.
1: And she said, you literally, you know, you literally hold two vibrating things in your hands and I ask you questions and, you know, we go through this for a period of time and so you feel better. And I'm like, that sounds so
2: <laughs>
1: preposterous and how in the yeah. heck can that work? Yeah. And I'm like, but at this point, I'm willing to try anything. And the the trauma that I had been trying to heal from for decades, I swear to God, I mean, it still pops up its ugly head, right? But in, I I think six months, Ed, mm-hmm. I could Speak about what had happened. I could, I could, and I wouldn't see red. Uh, I wouldn't want to throw up. I wouldn't want to punch something. mm -hmm. I could speak about it with a very calm head Mm -hmm. and a calm body. And that was something I didn't think I'd ever have again. Mm -hmm. And it enabled me to, I think, forgive enough Mm -hmm. to then be able to move forward. And and I believe, Ed, that that has opened me up to therefore help more people in this space, which is at the end of the day, and all you and I care about, right? That's it. it. Is helping other people. That's and it. So yeah, EMDR, check it out. Huge fan. Started out as a huge cynic.
0: Huge fan. Yeah. And the, I did too. I mean, I... I was a cynic of being a therapist even after I'd finished becoming a therapist because it hadn't really helped me. And I I thought most of it was a wishy-washy. And so, you know, I I don't want to over-belabor this point, but if you're feeling like a cynic about a therapy model, that's perfectly okay and normal. Whether you're working with a clinician or not, it's okay to ask questions about it, to read up on it, until you get comfortable because one of our survival strategies... And
1: trial and and error. And
0: trial and error because it's not...
1: Find someone that fits.
0: Right, because... You know, th- this is what's challenging, but also so important to hear is your first EMDR clinician may not be the right EMDR clinician for you. Your yep. therapist might not be the right therapist for you, or they might be the right therapist for you now, and they may not be for you in the next stage of healing. And so, it's okay to break up with your therapist. It's okay to try a different <laughs> therapist, um, yep. and it's okay to try different trauma healing models. And they may work for you at different times and different in different ways. And so I wish mm-hmm. that there was a perfect cookbook that said, do it in this order with this mm-hmm. person, but it's, it's more dynamic than that different
1: for every person. Well, and two, I, maybe I wasn't ready six years ago or whatever. And, and when I did it two years ago or whenever it was, I was ready. I mean, it, who knows?
0: It, it's some combination, but what we do know is EMDR proves to be very effective for many folks. But it, there is a bit of being able to let your mind, let it do what it's going to do. And when you have... Tr- you have to
1: trust trusting it. Trusting
0: that process is, is challenging, especially for trauma survivors who use cynicism to protect themselves. Uh, and I don't know about you, I also have, I'd like to call it like my nice guy persona really protected me from recognizing just how cynical I even really was for a long time. Interesting. I had no idea how cynical I was because... I was hidden behind this mask of being the nice guy because that was my primary survival and way, way of learning and coping and being in the world was to just be nice. And if I could be nice enough, then everybody will like me and then everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. But beneath that,
1: even though internally you're miserable,
0: I didn't even know it. Yeah. But I do now, I, and I'm less miserable yeah. now. And now, when I, now I can just be like, oh, yep, look inside. Yep, you're miserable right now. But let's take care <laughs> of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, wow. Well, I promised that this would be an incredible podcast interview. This went phenomenal. We've
1: skimmed so much. I'd love to yes. dive in deeper. Yes,
0: we will definitely have to have you back on, on the show. The, the healing, money, trauma, workplace, it's all, it's all a messy soup. It's all, you can't fully separate it. And so you just got to get in and start going. Julie, any parting words of guidance or comfort or encouragement that you would offer?
1: Yeah, be gentle with Mm. yourself. Mm. When you're trying to figure this stuff out, especially if someone else is telling you that you're wrong or someone else is telling you something that just feels so not in tune with what you believe or how you feel, um, do the due diligence. Ask the questions, try to put yourself in that person's perspective. But if at the end of the day you know that you need to do something that's better for you, please feel that you have the courage to do it and the strength and advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. But above all, be gentle with yourself and patient with yourself because, you know, I, I would imagine several people who are listening. I can't remember who I heard this from, but you know, one of the many people I follow said, "What do you say to yourself when you make a mistake? Mm-hmm. Is it are you kind, are you gentle, or do you use a bunch of you know four letter
2: words?"
1: <laughs> I use a bunch of four letter words, yeah. but I'm working on that.
0: Yes. yes, and
1: so you know, again, we just have to be gentle with ourselves and give give ourselves grace and patience. And give those around us grace and patience. But if a relationship is just toxic and you need to go, give yourself the ability to walk away and, and not go there again. And that's really hard. But anyway, those are kind of overall
0: yeah, Well, that be gentle with yourself is such a foreign concept at the beginning of this type of journey, isn't it? And it's one that uh, I appreciate your honesty and vulnerability. It's like, look, I don't have it dialed in. I still use four-letter words on myself. Yeah, actually, yeah. But you know what? I recognize it and I know where it's coming from and I I shift it and I recognize it's actually a signal for me now that it's time for compassion. Julie, thank you so much. I look forward to having you back on the show in the future.
1: Thank you, Ed. Absolutely.
0: Take care. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed.